Hello, and welcome to this morning's edition of 5 at 8. Today is Friday, February 2nd, 2024, and I'm Mark Overman, joined by my co-host, Linda Carlisle. In this episode, we'll talk about Ukraine's military sinking a Russian warship, the World Health Organization's prediction of a significant increase in global cancer cases, Apple being compelled to open its devices to competing app stores and payment alternatives, promising results in gene therapy for treating angioedema, and the Russian government passing a new law to confiscate the assets of Russians residing abroad who voice criticism towards the country. Story number one. According to CNN, Ukraine's military intelligence claims to have sunk a Russian warship, the Ivanovets, off the coast of Crimea. Nighttime footage shows sea drones destroying the vessel, causing significant damage. This is the latest in a series of strikes by Ukraine on Russia's Black Sea Fleet, aimed at isolating Crimea and hindering Russian military operations on the Ukrainian mainland. Prior to the sinking, Ukraine launched a missile attack on Crimea, with Russian air defenses intercepting most of the missiles. The incident occurred amid speculation about the possible firing of Ukraine's armed forces commander-in-chief, General Valery Zaluzhny. I gotta say, Linda, this news about Ukraine using drones to sink a Russian warship, it's like we're living in a sci-fi movie, isn't it? The way technology is changing warfare is mind-boggling. It's a fascinating and somewhat unsettling development. The use of drone technology in warfare is not entirely new, but it's the scale and effectiveness of these recent operations that's really grabbed the world's attention. Yeah, and it's not just about the physical damage these drones can cause, right? There's a psychological aspect to it as well. I mean, if you're on the receiving end of these attacks, it must feel like there's no place to hide. The use of unmanned drones does have a significant psychological impact. It creates a sense of unpredictability and omnipresence, and that can be a powerful deterrent in its own right. Right. And, you know, it's not just about the military implications. There are also some serious ethical and legal issues to consider when it comes to drone warfare. What's your take on that, Linda? Well, Mark, the ethical implications are indeed complex. On one hand, drone technology can potentially reduce the risk to human life on the side using them. But on the other hand, the fact that these attacks can be carried out remotely, often from thousands of miles away, raises questions about accountability and proportionality. It's a topic that definitely warrants further discussion. Yeah, no kidding. It's like we're in uncharted territory here. And that's not even getting into the whole can of worms involving privacy and surveillance issues. The use of drones in warfare is part of a larger trend towards technology-driven conflict, which includes cyber warfare and other forms of non-traditional warfare. These developments are fundamentally changing the nature of conflict and the rules that govern it. It's a brave new world indeed. Story number two. The World Health Organization's cancer agency predicts that the number of new cancer cases globally will reach 35 million in 2050, a 77% increase from 2022, as reported by Al Jazeera. The rise is attributed to factors such as tobacco, alcohol, obesity, and air pollution. The agency emphasized that the burden of cancer will be most significant in lower-income countries, which are ill-equipped to handle the increasing number of patients. Lung cancer is the most common cancer worldwide, particularly in men, while breast cancer is the most common in women. The agency called for more investment in early diagnosis, screening, prevention, and palliative care for cancer patients. Do you know what's really concerning, Linda? 
The World Health Organization predicts a 77% increase in global cancer cases by 2050. That's an alarming jump from the 20 million cases we had in 2022. It's clear that we've got a mounting health crisis on our hands. It's not just the sheer number that's concerning, but also the factors contributing to this rise, like tobacco, alcohol, obesity, and air pollution. These are largely preventable risk factors, but addressing them requires a concerted effort from both individuals and governments. Right, Linda. And we should add that this increase isn't going to be evenly distributed across the globe. The WHO's International Agency for Research on Cancer highlights that the threat of cancer varies greatly depending on where a patient lives. The most developed countries are expected to see the greatest increases in absolute numbers. But in terms of percentages, it's those in the lower income, lower human development countries that are going to see the most striking increases. That's a crucial point, Mark. It brings into focus the issue of health equity. It's a stark reminder of the disparities in health outcomes between richer and poorer nations. The report says these countries are ill-equipped to deal with the cancer problem, which is only set to grow in the future. If we think back to the HIV-AIDS crisis or the ongoing challenge of tuberculosis, we'll remember that these diseases also disproportionately affect lower-income countries. The potential for a similar pattern with cancer is deeply concerning. Yes, Linda. And it's not just about the numbers, it's about the types of cancer, too. Lung cancer is the most common worldwide, particularly in men, while breast cancer is the most common in women. And with changing lifestyles, we're seeing other types, like colorectal cancer, becoming more prevalent. Obesity, smoking, and alcohol use are all risk factors there. And beyond the numbers and types of cancer, the report also touches on the need for more investment in early diagnosis, screening, and prevention. Not to mention the need for more palliative care for those suffering. It's a sobering reminder of the multiple facets of healthcare that need attention. It's a stark reminder of the ongoing challenges we face in public health and the need for a coordinated global approach to tackle them. We can't overlook the importance of prevention and education in this fight against cancer. Story number three. Apple has been compelled by European regulators to open its devices to competing app stores and payment alternatives after 15 years of dictating how apps are distributed on iPhones, as reported by the New York Times. However, app makers argue that Apple's response to the law is a false choice, as it includes new fees and rules that make it costly and risky to make the intended changes. European regulators supported developers in writing the Digital Markets Act, which requires Apple to provide alternatives for app makers to sell to iPhone and iPad users. Apple has given developers three options in the European Union. Stick with the current App Store system and pay up to a 30% commission. Reduce the commission to 17% while paying a new 50 euro cent charge on every download above 1 million annually or distribute through a competing app store while still paying Apple's download fee. Many developers have found that Apple's alternatives are worse, leading them to stick with the existing app store model. Who would have thought, right? Apple, one of the biggest tech giants having to take orders from the European regulators. It's a classic case of David and Goliath, except this time, David has the law on his side. It's a significant shift in the power dynamics. This law, the Digital Markets Act, is designed to give consumers and developers more choice, but it seems Apple's response to it is causing quite a stir among the app makers. Yeah, according to them, Apple's giving them a false choice. 
I mean, imagine being hit with a 50 euro cent charge for every download after the first million. That's a substantial amount, Linda, especially for those who make free apps. It almost seems like they're being pushed towards sticking with the status quo. That's true, Mark. And it's not just about the fees, it's about the control Apple exerts over the app marketplace. They argue that it's for maintaining quality and safety, but many developers see it as an abuse of power. This tug-of-war between tech giants and regulators reminds me of Google's dispute over its Play Store policies. Yes, and these aren't isolated incidents. It's a global issue. Tech monopolies versus regulators. It's about finding the right balance that benefits everyone. The companies, the developers, and most importantly, the consumers. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? Absolutely. These disputes invite us to reflect on the broader implications for the tech ecosystem and market competition. This is not just about Apple or Google. It's about the future of technology, regulation, and who holds the power. As we've seen in other industries such as telecommunications or automotive, navigating these waters is tricky, but necessary. Story number four. Gene therapy using the CRISPR-Cas9 technique has shown promising results in treating angioedema, a genetic disorder that causes painful and unpredictable swelling attacks. In a trial involving patients from the UK, New Zealand, and the Netherlands, a single infusion of the therapy reduced angioedema symptoms by 95%. Only one patient continued to experience minor symptoms. The therapy has the potential to be a permanent cure for angioedema and could also be used to treat other genetic conditions. Larger trials and long-term monitoring are planned to assess the treatment's safety and efficacy, as reported by the BBC. How about that breakthrough with gene therapy, huh? It's like we've entered a whole new age of medical innovation. What do you make of this, Linda? Well, Mark, it certainly is a milestone in the field of gene therapy. The use of CRISPR technology to target and alter specific genes holds immense potential. In the case of angioedema, a single infusion of this treatment has significantly reduced symptoms in patients, which I must say is quite remarkable. But, you know, it isn't all roses, right? I mean, there's this bit about the edits not always being perfect and the cuts sometimes ending up in the wrong place. Sounds a bit... risky, doesn't it? Yes, Mark, you're correct. There are indeed risks involved, as with any medical procedure. However, the success of these trials and the transformative impact they have had on patients' lives is a promising sign. Research is ongoing to improve the precision and safety of this technology. Surely the potential benefits are huge. But, uh, what about the ethical aspects of this? I mean, aren't there concerns about, you know, playing God with our genes? Yes, the ethical considerations are significant. As we're dealing with altering human genes, it's crucial that we tread carefully. There are rules and regulations in place to ensure that the technology is used responsibly and ethically. But as with any groundbreaking innovation, it's a learning journey, and there will always be discussions about ethics and governance. It's important that we continue to have these conversations as we explore the full potential of gene therapy and CRISPR technology. Yeah, that makes sense, Linda. Now, looking at the bigger picture here, what do you think this means for the future of medicine? I mean, are we looking at a future where genetic disorders are a thing of the past? Well, Mark, while it's too early to say that genetic disorders will be completely eradicated, what we are witnessing is a significant shift in how we approach these diseases. The success of gene therapy in treating conditions like angioedema gives hope to millions of people worldwide suffering from similar genetic disorders. It's a long and complex road ahead, but the prospects are indeed very promising. 
Story number five. According to the New York Times, the Russian government has passed a new law that enables them to confiscate the assets of Russians residing abroad who voice criticism towards the country. The law specifically focuses on anti-war Russians residing abroad and intends to suppress their activities. Additionally, the Kremlin is exerting pressure on other nations to take action against these individuals. The enactment of this law demonstrates the government's efforts to stifle dissent and criticism, both domestically and internationally. This law has sparked concerns regarding freedom of speech and the treatment of Russian citizens overseas. Is this not the epitome of state control, Linda? Russia's new law allowing the government to seize properties of Russians living abroad who openly criticize it, especially regarding the invasion of Ukraine. It's a clear attempt to suppress freedom of speech, which is a fundamental human right. Well, I see it slightly differently, Mark. It's certainly a disturbing development, but we should remember that every country has laws in place to protect its national security. It seems to me that Russia is trying to curb what it perceives as threats to its national security from its own citizens abroad. But Linda, don't you think it's going too far? This isn't just about national security. It's about silencing dissenting voices. Remember, we're talking about a country that has a history of suppressing opposition. I mean, look at the case of the anti-war Russian rock group in Bangkok. They're facing deportation to Russia, where they'll likely face severe repercussions for their anti-war stance. I understand your point, Mark. But it's also crucial to consider the context. Russia is currently under a lot of international pressure due to the invasion of Ukraine. They might see these anti-war sentiments as further fueling the fire. However, I do agree that the measures taken seem extreme and potentially breach the universal rights to freedom of expression. Right. And, uh, let's not forget that this law doesn't just affect ordinary citizens. It's also a clear message to Russian celebrities who have fled the country since the war began. They still have influence over their fans through platforms like YouTube, which is still accessible in Russia. It's like the Kremlin is saying, if you're not with us, you're against us. That's certainly one way to look at it, Mark. But we should also remember that every action has a reaction. This move could potentially galvanize the international community to stand up for these individuals' rights to express their own opinions. It remains to be seen how this situation will unfold. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.